All right, let's jump into part three of our series that we're calling Go, Our Great Commission. We're talking about Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So let's read that and uh, do a little recap, and then we'll jump into new material. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is the mission of the church to go to all nations. No one is excluded. The United States is not excluded. Jamaica is not excluded. India is not excluded. No nation is excluded. No people is excluded. All are nations that Jesus loves and that we are to bring the gospel to. That is our mission. And thank you for being a church that's on mission. You know, we've, we've been involved in advancing the gospel since we've started, and that is just, it's a big deal. So let's stay at it. Let's stay on mission. Here's my controversial statement for the series. Are you ready? I don't believe that witnessing is our greatest evangelistic tool that we have at our disposal. I think that living the life is the greatest evangelistic tool that we have at our disposal. If we walk in the light, then we can share the light with others. But just being a hypocrite who talks about Jesus isn't overly helpful. But if we can grab hold of freedom in Christ, if we can have the wisdom of God and live our lives in that wisdom, if we can be the ones who overcome, if we can be people of love, who forgive people, who are able to bring good things into difficult circumstances, if we are the generous people who are the hands and feet of Jesus, if we do that, then we will be able to bring the light of Christ to the world. But if we don't do that, and we just talk about how it's a good thing, but we're not doing it, but you should, it's not going to go very well. I think that's the primary issue with the faith in America, in Western culture. We need to live it. Now, why wouldn't we want to live out victory in Christ? Don't you want that? It's better for you. I mean, it's more work. You got to fight for it. You got to keep at it. You got to grow you got to stay in prayer. you got to study the Word. you got to walk in faith and see what works and what doesn't. you got to make adjustments. But that's where we get the victory and we get to overcome and where we get to walk in the abundant life in Christ. Wouldn't you rather have that? Yeah, amen. And it helps spread the gospel better. So let's have both. Get excited about that because that's a happy thing. You get to have a better life and be more effective for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. This is what we want to do. We want to live the life and share our faith. Last week, we talked about there's power in the name of Jesus. We did the first verse, Matthew 28, 18, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Two main points from last week. Jesus has all authority, so he has authority to tell you what to do. Isn't that a wonderful thing? If Jesus is Lord... And he says, jump, we say how high with a smile on our face. We're excited about serving the Lord because God doesn't want you grudgingly doing his will. He wants you excited about the good things that he's got planned and that you get to be part of it. 
He has authority over us. If we have claimed him as Lord, as our master, and he says to do something, we do it because he's our Lord. He has authority over us. And then point number two is that when we are serving the Lord, we aren't going on our own strength, but under his authority. So we don't go on our own, but we go empowered by God. This is how James 4, 7 actually works. An amazing verse. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What does flee mean? It means run away. It doesn't mean take a step back, recalibrate, and come back again. It means run away. So here in the scriptures, it says that we can resist the devil and make him flee. The first part, of course, is very important. Submit yourselves to God. Otherwise, we're on our own. We talked about that last week. But here's how I see this verse playing out. When the enemy comes to me, when the devil starts to put thoughts in my head that are wrong thoughts, when I'm tempted in certain ways that that I know aren't of God, but I, I need to resist, whenever you know there's any manifestation of that in any way, then I resist that. I say, no, I'm not going to yield to that thought. You be gone in Jesus' name. I resist that. And then it leaves. But how I see it is, if I'm resisting the devil and I have success and the devil flees, then I always picture behind me a thousand foot tall Jesus just saying, no, you leave him alone. You get out of here. Because it's not me in my own power. It's the power of God. And if I'm walking in under the authority of Christ, it's like putting on a uniform for the military of the United States. You've got some backing then. You've got something behind you that is more than just you personally. When we're walking under the authority of Christ, then we're backed up by Christ. So that's how that works. That's what we talked about last week. This week, we talked about go and baptize. We're talking about baptism today. So Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we are to go and baptize. That is part of what Jesus told his disciples to do and what still applies to us today. We are to go and baptize. Baptize means to dip. It's to immerse, to wash. It was primarily used in religious ceremonies, this Greek word to baptize. There wasn't a good English word, so they just made the Greek word into an English word. And we got a new one, which was baptize. And this is a very important concept in the faith. So Baptism was part of the initiation into the group and part of the initiation into the faith. When we look at the Great Commission, we see two important parts of making disciples. Go and make disciples. The first part that we'll study today is baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to be having a baptism service next week, a week from today. 4.30 in the afternoon, followed by a potluck, so I'll talk a little bit more about that. But Matthew 28.20 says, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So, go and make disciples has two pieces. One, get the commitment, get them baptized, initiate them into the faith and into the group. And then two, teach them how to walk with God. 
Teach them the ways of God. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So those are the two pieces. Next week, we talk about teaching them to obey. We talk about learning how to walk in the ways of God. That's next week. This week, we talk about baptism. So the joining the group part of baptism has faded a little bit. You know, you don't necessarily need to get baptized to join a church and that sort of a thing. But back then, it was a big part of joining the group. One of the things that we do here at Good Hope is if you want to be a partner with Good Hope, you need to be baptized. It's one of the things you can have been baptized somewhere else, but it's an expectation that we have. So being baptized to be part of the group is still a piece of the puzzle. But at Good Hope, we have a progressive membership process. So it goes from member to partner and then up the chain onto staff and that sort of thing. So to be a member at Good Hope, you have to have basically three things. You have to show up for church some, you have to give at least a little bit, and you have to try to be following Jesus. If you're doing that and you're here, then you're part of what's going on. We learned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it doesn't matter if you don't want to be part of what's going on. If you're there, you are. So you're a member. Ta-da! Some people are members you didn't even know you were. So that's, that's good stuff. A member has the ability to vote on a new senior pastor. So if we're getting a new pastor to replace me, you get to vote on that. Isn't that neat? Because the big group should vote on that. Otherwise, people vote with their feet, and that can be a serious problem. So we want people to be on board with what's going on. Then to be a partner, the expectations are higher for a partner, but also the level of influence is higher. So the expectations include things like being cool with the 16 doctrines of the assemblies of God, being someone who tithes, being someone who's baptized in water, those sorts of things. So these are the people who are making sure that everything is, is happening. They're the inside group, the partner group. We're always looking to add more partners. If you're interested in that, you can talk to anybody with a little name tag. So that's Just a side note, but it's important stuff for our church. Just like back then, baptizing people was initiating people into the group. was very significant. But the primary thing about baptism is it's an initiation into the faith. It's saying, I'm following Jesus now. That part of baptism is still very strong in our world. If you have recently decided to follow Jesus, or you're someone who is a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized in water, I very much encourage you to participate next week at 4.30 and get baptized. I think we've got 11 people signed up. Go ahead and get baptized. It's a good part of being obedient to what the Lord has told us to do. It's a significant piece of the Great Commission. Go and baptize in water. So, Let me just talk about how we do baptism here at Good Hope. We do baptism by immersion for those who are old enough to make a personal decision to follow Christ. So for babies and small children, we do baby dedications. A lot of people know about baby baptisms. We do dedications for babies, like Jesus said, let the little children come unto me and bless them. So that's what we do for babies. And then when you're old enough, we dunk you underwater. So that's the baptism by immersion. That's how we see it. I believe that's good, solid, biblical stuff. But let's not fight about that. Just a few points I want to make along those lines. Because 
Following Jesus isn't about finding the religious ritual forms that appease God. He's not super nitpicky. God cares about your heart and where you're at with Him. It's not about the ritual forms that make God happy with you. It's about where your heart is. Is your heart in line with God? Are you endeavoring to walk with God? Do you want that relationship with God? And you're endeavoring to build that connection with God. That's what he's looking for. Are you honestly serving him the ways that that he's called you to do? It isn't about finding the right ritual form and making sure that the exact right way of being baptized is followed. It's about your heart. Christianity is not a religion of technicalities and loopholes. It's a religion of communion with the Spirit of God and of living out the ways of God as a lifestyle. That's what Christianity is all about. Now, baptism we see as primarily symbolic. It's a public demonstration of something that's already happened in your heart. It's primarily symbolic. So we are saved Immediately, when we confess Christ as our Lord and Savior, we ask for forgiveness and pledge our lives to Christ, we're saved right there. You're going to heaven right then. You don't have to wait till you get baptized to be sure that you're going to heaven. Like if, God forbid, you get in a car accident on the way to the baptism service and you're killed there, it's not like, oh no, we lost one. That's horrible. You know, you're going to heaven because you're saved by grace through faith in what Christ has done. So the baptism is really a public declaration of what has already happened in your heart. However, God things can happen when you get baptized in water. Just like with communion. Holy communion is primarily symbolic. We're remembering what Jesus has done. We're symbolizing that with the bread and the juice. And we receive communion primarily as a symbolic thing. But hey, a God thing can happen to you while you're taking communion. Same thing with baptism. A God thing can happen. But there's a very interesting couple of verses in Luke chapter 7 that I want to look at that are I think significant when it comes to baptism. Luke 7, 29 and 30 says this. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. We see an interesting causal relationship between people hearing the words of Christ and saying, yes, that's right. And having been baptized by John, the baptism of repentance. And then verse 30. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Here we see a causal relationship between rejecting the words of Christ and refusing to be baptized. Isn't that interesting? If you find yourself in your walk with God hitting roadblocks and you're not sure what's going on and you haven't been baptized in water, I encourage you very strongly to be baptized in water and see if that brings you to the next place. If it opens your heart to God a little bit more. So let's look at two major types of baptism that are mentioned in the New Testament. We see Actually, several types of baptisms, water baptism, which starts with John's baptism. Jesus continues that 
got baptism in the Holy Spirit. You've got baptism by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Jesus talks about a baptism of suffering. There's different types of baptisms mentioned in the scriptures, but let's just look at the two major ones. We've got baptism in water, which starts with John, and baptism in the Spirit. So let's go to Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and let's take a look at what John the Baptist did. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So repent for the kingdom of heaven is near is basically saying God's about to do something really awesome. So if you get your heart right, you'll get to be part of it. That's what repent for the kingdom of heaven is near means. Verse three, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So John's baptism prepared the way for the Lord. We saw that in Luke chapter 7. Those who were baptized by John received what Jesus said. Those who weren't refused it. Verse 4. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? We have greeters. We call it the hospitality team. And we want to be friendly to people when they come. John sees this group and he's like, you brood of vipers, what are you doing here? What, you want to get right with God? Who warned you to be like, that's pretty strong stuff. You know, like we don't do that to people. It doesn't matter who comes to church. I don't care how bad they are. We're going to, hey, glad to have you here. Get some coffee. Let's go to church. But John was pretty strong with these people because he knew they were coming with wrong motives. And he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It doesn't matter if you show up here. It doesn't matter even if you get baptized. You got to live the life now. You've got to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You've got to show that you care about God more than you care about yourself. That you care about God's plan more than you care about your plan. You care about God's kingdom more than you care about your kingdom. And you care about the ministries that God has ordained more than you care about your own ministries and the things you want to do. It says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. So don't go into some technicality thing. I'm right with God because, uh, you know, I'm in the right lineage. There are no technicalities. There are no loopholes. You just, you're going with God or you're not. Go with God. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John was very strong. He made sure everybody understood. You got two options. You can go with God, which brings blessings, or you can refuse God, and that brings wrath. You want to go with God. He was very strong. And he was the one who began the water baptism ministry, a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. 
Jesus continues water baptism. John chapter 3 talks a little bit about Jesus and people being baptized and how John the Baptist is seeing a lot of people go over to Jesus and John explains the whole process to his disciples. And then John chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 says this, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. So Jesus is now having people baptized in water, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So Jesus taught his disciples to baptize people. And the continuation of water baptism from John, this was happening before John was put in prison, but then of course after John was put in prison, this was continued and just continued to grow and grow. And Jesus taught other people to baptize people. And this is the baptism, Father, Son, Holy Spirit that Jesus taught. So this is continued into also the great commission that we do today. A baptism of repentance, of turning to God, and a pledge to follow God. So that's water baptism. That's what the Great Commission is talking about. That's what we're doing next week at 4.30 on Sunday. And then there's baptism in the Spirit that John talked about in Matthew 3.11 that we already read. And I just want to make sure that we understand that this is not a side issue. This is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. We're going to read those verses real quick. How many people have heard that you must be born again? So, very important, right? You must be born again. How many Gospels is that in? One. It's just in John. It's not in Matthew. It's not in Mark. It's not in Luke. It's only in John. So that's really important. It's only in John. This is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. So let's just read those quickly. Make sure that we understand this is a central, core, important, significant thing. We already read Matthew 3.11. Let's go to Mark 1, 6 through 8. Mark 1, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. I like this guy. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 3.16 says, John answered them all. That's John the Baptist. I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Gospel of John 1.32 and 33 says, Then John gave this testimony. Testimony. Again, John the Baptist, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And Acts 1, 4, and 5 says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, that is Jesus, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this is a core, central, significant doctrine, not a side issue, that we are not just to be baptized in water, but also to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this is something that we seek out. It's separate from conversion. You know, you just ask God for forgiveness. You pledge your life to walk with Him. You're forgiven. Boom. But there's more growth that can happen from there. We're going to be doing some special services during Lent. How many people know what Lent is? I always used to give up whale hunting for Lent when I was a kid. But 
It's a time where in certain Christian traditions, you kind of focus on God and you give up some worldly things so that you can focus on the Lord a little better. And what I want to ask people to do during Lent this year is to give up a little bit of your Sunday evening. So we're going to, from 6.30 Sunday night until whenever we're done, maybe an hour and a half, two hours, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. And we're going to try to connect with God. We're going to be open to God. We're going to pray for things like physical healing and miracles. We're going to try to be open to gifts of the Spirit. We're going to pray for baptism in the Holy Spirit. Pray for revelation in your life. Just We're just going to seek God and have good old-fashioned Holy Spirit Sunday night meetings during Lent. And the idea behind it is to come and to set aside your resistance to God for a couple hours. If we just lean in, I wonder how far we could get. So we're going to set aside our resistance to God. And we're just going to lean in. I'll guide the whole thing so it should be a safe environment. You know, we've got to make sure that we've we got uh, the fire in the fireplace. But uh, that's what we're going to be doing during Lent. So I encourage you to be part of that. And we'll take more time to seek it out then. All right. I want to look at now Romans chapter 6. Years ago, somebody told me, whatever you do up front, man, read the Bible. Because you know that's anointed and that's good. Whatever you say, you know, it could go this way, it could go that. But as long as you read the Bible, you know something good happened. So that's why we read the Bible a lot. And uh, we're going to read a good chunk of Romans chapter 6 here. So this, I believe, is a great chapter about what water baptism means as part of our walk with Christ. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? So isn't it nice that when we sin, God's grace is there to forgive us of our sins and that sort of thing? But we don't want to be exploiting that, of course. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So baptism is symbolizing death going into the grave. So how does that Verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So we are crucified with Christ. All of the sin, all of the things we've done wrong, all of the regrets that we have, those things that have been carrying on with us. You know, there's something I said 31 years ago that I shouldn't have said. It probably every year or two comes up in my heart and I just think, oh, I wish I had never said that. Those are the things that are crucified with Christ. If you can make something right with somebody, make it right with them. But those things that we carry, those regrets, that pain, that guilt, crucified with Christ so that we can be free from that and that we can live a new life, that we can walk in freedom. Verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So new life today, hallelujah for that. Also everlasting life for forever. United with him in his death and united with him in his resurrection. Verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. So Jesus conquered death. It wasn't like Lazarus who was raised from the dead just to die again. Jesus was resurrected. Jesus conquered death. He's never going to die again. And this is the sort of thing we can grab a hold of when we put our faith in Christ is the second death cannot touch us, that we are freed from death. Death no longer has mastery over Christ or us when we put our hope in him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. So we're set free from all of that garbage of this world, doing wrong things. We're set free from all of that. Few more verses. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? How many times have you heard people kind of, oh, I can do that. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. I'll get forgiven. By no means. Don't sin for that reason. Verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Again, no loopholes, no technicalities. Whoever you're following, that's who you're following. If you're following the ways of sin, but you're claiming Christ, then you're just a hypocrite. And that is not a technicality. It's not a loophole that gets you in. Follow Christ. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were instructed. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Amen. Through baptism, the symbolism is that we're buried with Christ into death so that we can live a new life and we have assurance of everlasting life. We're dead to sin and we must not insult the spirit of grace by continuing to walk in the old ways. Then we pass from death to life and we're free from the control of sin and we're compelled to follow the ways of God. This is all that baptism is symbolizing. Our closing scripture is going to be from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Some of the scriptures we've read have been kind of harsh, kind of strong. The good news is it doesn't matter how checkered your past is. It doesn't matter the depth of regret that you had. It doesn't matter the things that you've been through that have darkened your heart. You can be a new creation. The old, all of the old can be gone and the new comes. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. It's not that we claim we haven't sinned. It's that God doesn't count them against us because Jesus paid the price and we get that taken away and we can stand before God knowing that we're accepted by him because our sins have been taken away. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. 
we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So bow your heads if you would. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you for the ministry of reconciliation. That you make us right with you, not counting our sins against us, not shunning us, pushing us aside, condemning us. But when we put our faith in you, we know that Jesus was condemned for us. That he has taken the wages of sin, which is death, upon himself. That we could be clothed in his righteousness. So Lord, for those who need to say, yes, Lord, I'm in. Either for the first time or as a recommittal, I want you to raise your hand. So, Heavenly Father, we just lift up these that have put their hands in the air. We know, Lord, you have seen that. We pray, Lord, that as they seek forgiveness, that you would bring them into complete forgiveness and freedom from the past, that they could walk into newness of life, that the old would be gone and the new would come. We pray, Lord, that they would be able to grab hold of that newness of life, that they wouldn't still be trapped in the old ways, but would be walking in the freedom that you bring. And Lord, for those who need to take that next step of water baptism, Lord, I just pray that in people's hearts you would show them, do they need to be part of that next week? And if so, just come next week at 4 o'clock. Service will be at 4.30. Lord, for those who need to do that, to step out in obedience, to be baptized as the Great Commission said, Lord, help them to have the courage to do that. And Lord, for each of us in here right now, there's a next step for each of us. There's something we need to do today to take today's step in yielding to you, in serving you, in loving you, in growing in faith in you. There's, there's a next step for each one of us. Lord, I pray you would show us that next step right now, that we would see it, that we would grab hold of it, and that we would do it. Lord, I pray a blessing over each one of us right now. Lord, I pray that your peace would be upon us. Lord, I pray you would give us that gift of faith, that you would help us to see your plan and to believe for it to come to pass. Lord, I pray that you would give us joy in our hearts that would be strength to us to fight through these days. And Lord, that we would know how much you love us. Lord, so that we can love anyone in this world that's difficult to deal with. Give us that strength. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.